What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we continue our series on Why Mark? The Politics of Resurrection in the First Gospel with the second edition of the Reverend David Wiley's book. Uh, Last week we heard about the family of Jesus and how, according to what we hear from Mark, there is not much in the way of acceptance of Jesus from his family. It seems clear that they agreed with the crowds that Jesus had gone out of his mind. But as difficult as it is to have a family that doesn't believe you and aren't there for you, it is absolutely beautiful to see the church step up and be that second family, that community people need when they have nowhere else to turn. Mark hints at this as Joseph of Arimathea wraps the body of Jesus in a garment just like the ones from the Essenes. It's a chosen family when people are rejected by their own. We also saw how the time after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension led to some real problems in the church. Who should be in charge? Who should make decisions for the future of the church? For a while, it was James, the brother of Jesus, but who would follow after him? Today, we put another piece of the puzzle together as we try and answer the biggest question of all in the Gospel of Mark. Why would he have zero resurrection appearances? Why doesn't Jesus show up at the end of the gospel. Carol is going to read for us our scripture for today, which comes from the gospel of Mark. It's just on the heels of some very difficult predictions from Jesus. Dave Wiley says this is called the little apocalypse. I'm not sure how any apocalypse can be little, but that's what it's called. Jesus describes persecutions of people who proclaim good news. He says there will be something called a desolating sacrilege, and people will suffer so bad, such has not been seen from the beginning of the creation. And finally, we hear a note of hope. This is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. Hear now the word of the Lord. But in those days, after the suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then we will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, these generation This generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But then that day or hour, no one knows, neither the the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and he puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cock crow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep 
when he comes suddenly. Keep what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. And from Mark 14, verses 32 through 36, after the Passover with the disciples in the upper room, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Jesus said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, make us an inclusive community, passionately following Jesus Christ. Move us to understanding as we wrestle with your word. Help us to keep awake even as we wait. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Going to college can be tough for a lot of people. Uh, when I was a senior, in my senior year of high school, I had picked the college I wanted to go to. It was Oral Roberts University in Oklahoma. I wasn't quite sure what drew me to it, and I hadn't even visited the campus, but I was sure that's where I would spend the first year of college. As spring rolled around, I started to get a little anxious. My parents had told me they wouldn't pay for college or even help me get student loans, so I was on my own financially. Uh, I didn't own a car. I was sharing one with my brother, and though I had a job, I didn't even have the money to book the flight out to Oklahoma to begin classes. I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I was still committed. Oral Roberts was in my future. That is until I got a letter in the mail with an update on my transcripts. That's the list of what classes they accept and don't accept from your high school. Most things were fine, but they said I had to take two semesters of Spanish classes that would not count as college credit. I looked at it, and I couldn't believe it. I had just spent six years taking German, and they said it counted for nothing. Zerschada! That was the moment when I said, that's it, I'm not going to Oral Roberts University. I'm going to find a place that won't make me take remedial Spanish. I ended up going to a local college, but it led to a series of struggles. Many of my closest friends had gone away, or the few that stayed connected with new friends there. My brother and sister both left that year. It was in refusing to take Spanish classes that I felt like my whole world had just fallen apart. My mental health suffered dramatically, and I would describe that freshman year as literally the worst year of my life. I know a season like that is not unique to me, though. Many of us have seasons that can feel brutal. For young people, a broken relationship or a friend moving can feel like the end of everything. Unexpected illness can change the world around us in the blink of an eye. Death can steal our joy and make us feel like it will never return. If there's one thing that's certain, is that we are going to struggle. There will be difficulties ahead, and some of them will be so tough, we might even think, I'm not sure I can handle any more. 
hundreds of millions of people live in extreme poverty. Here in the U.S., one in four adults have some type of disability, from mobility to cognition, hearing or vision. And for so many of those people, the loss of ability was dramatic and sudden, totally changing their world. Life can be tough and feel so unfair at times. I met with several clergy friends the other day, and one was sharing how in their church they have a family that brings their service dogs to church every week. Most people love it. I think I would too. But what struck me about the story was the price tag. This pastor said they train these dogs from the time they are puppies, and they can be absolutely transformative to a person's life, uh, but they cost $25,000. I could just imagine someone losing their service dog, trying to put up a a lost dog poster, not wanting to let on about how valuable the dog is. It would be a desperate situation for sure. For how many people is the help they need out of reach? For how many is it too expensive or too experimental or simply not possible? That's very much what the gospel writer describes in Mark chapter 13. A day of woe is coming. It's going to be terrible for a lot of people. In fact, in Why Mark, the Reverend Dave Wiley describes it as a brutal invasion by an evil empire. Everything about it was horrific. Rome captured and killed rebel leaders. At one point, they had Jerusalem surrounded, and when people escaped from the city, they were inevitably caught by the Romans. Up to 500 people each day were executed just for trying to get out of their desperate situation. The historian Josephus says up to 1.1 million people were killed from this siege. It is literally the very worst thing that has ever happened to a country in a history filled with terrible things. The desolating sacrilege Mark talks about earlier in the chapter was probably James, the brother of Jesus, being thrown from one of the walls of the temple and killed. James was the leader of the Christians in Jerusalem. He was called James the Just and James the Brother of God. And then soon after this evil act, more than a million people died. Mark is relaying to us truly an awful event, but it is not all bad news. There is even in the midst of this terrible thing, hope on the horizon. There will be a coming of the Son of Man. Now, sometimes Son of Man just means human, but here we know it means so much more. The coming of the Son of Man is nothing short of the return of Jesus Christ. This is the biggest, best thing that could happen. And Mark's message to us is to keep awake. Don't miss it. Don't fall asleep when you don't know when the Son of Man is going to return. You have to stay ready, stay vigilant, watching for his return. You have to keep your body disciplined. You have to be prepared by keeping the faith, keeping your trust in Jesus, even when the wait seems to go on forever. Now, this is where Mark does some incredible storytelling. He is not only writing, reminding us future generations to keep awake, He is also hinting at the problem that is about to happen to the disciples. In Mark 14, Jesus is praying in Gethsemane. It's the evening of his betrayal, what we remember every year in our Holy Thursday and Good Friday services. He tells the disciples, keep awake. He wants them to pray, to be alert, to be faithful, no matter what consequences may come. But they just can't do it. They keep falling asleep. 
Oftentimes we put the disciples of Jesus up on a pedestal. We think of them as the heroes of the biblical story, and yet here they are totally weak, literally falling asleep in the middle of Jesus' command to stay awake. It's like that terrible joke at the opera. A wife says to her husband, what a shame the person in front of us fell asleep. And then the husband grumbles, that doesn't mean you should wake me up. The disciples are not heroes in this story. Last week we talked about the family of Jesus and how in many ways they had rejected him. We might think of the disciples as Jesus' new family, as chosen, uh, chosen family adopted by Jesus. Yet Dave Wiley reminds us that Mark doesn't entirely agree. He says, Mark soon enough began to undermine the credibility of the disciples and revealed a distance between Jesus and his disciples, not unlike what we saw between Jesus and his family. Why is this same theme of rejection coming up again? Aren't the disciples better than a family? Isn't a spiritual family closer than a brother or sister? Seems like the Gospel of Mark, we find both an anti-family and an anti-disciple bias. But why? We see Mark telling people, keep awake. Because we don't know when the master of the house will come. The Son of Man, the Messiah, will certainly return. But he says, we don't know if it will be in the evening, at midnight, at cockcrow, or at dawn. Then in that very next chapter, he says nearly the same thing about the disciples. Jesus goes to pray in the evening, and they fall asleep. At midnight, they fall asleep again. At Cockrow, Peter has denied Jesus, and by dawn, Jesus is handed over to Pilate. Even after being warned to keep awake, the disciples were not ready. Mark is reminding us that the church can fail too. I think the disciples back then, that, that was true of them, but it's also true of us today. Those of us who call ourselves disciples, followers of Jesus, have certainly struggled We have found ourselves divided over politics, over money, over ministry. The last few years since the pandemic have been very difficult for many churches. I heard from another church just up the street from us. They've been losing 100 people a year for the last five years. No doubt politics and money and ministry have divided them as well. As difficult as things can get, we aren't called to be afraid. Jesus doesn't want the struggle to tear us apart. No, Jesus says, keep awake, be ready. Whatever that struggle may be, you are called to be better than the disciples were. Be vigilant in faith, in love, and in unity as you seek to do God's will no matter how tough things might be out there. At this point, before Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, the disciples didn't really get it. They didn't know how to stick together through thick and thin. They weren't a vigilant, united group. In many ways, it was actually the tragedy of Jesus' death that finally made them keep awake, looking for his return, able to weather the terrible crises of the future church. For us today, this is a message of hope. We've gone through some really difficult things personally. We've gone through difficulties as a church and in our families. This is not the time to give up. 
This is the time to be vigilant, waiting on God. I think of the college I went to and how terrible that first year was for me, but that school happened to have an agreement with another college, the one I would go to for my four-year degree, the one that had friends in it that would change my life for the better. It was the same school I would get a degree in religion from, which would lead me to seminary and meeting my wife and having children. If removing that one terrible freshman year of college meant I lost all that would come after it, I would never, ever give it away. I would hold on to it so that one day I could see the blessing that would flow from it despite the pain and suffering. That's what the disciples teach us. They weren't ready for discipleship before Jesus' crucifixion, but boy, oh boy, afterward, there was nothing in the whole world that could stop them. You know, the spiritual journey of all people can be described in pretty simple terms. Everyone goes through purgatory when things are difficult. If we are being optimistic, we call it purification, but it's always a difficult stage. Next comes illumination, where we finally are able to see God at work in the midst of this difficult challenge. Then the third stage is called unity. We are united with God. We can feel his presence, and in our lives, they are conformed to his will. But something else happens when we are united with God, too. Suddenly, those divisions with others don't seem so big. We're able to love God and others without limit. John Wesley called it Christian perfection, and we only move in this direction when we don't let trials defeat us, when we don't let differences of opinion separate us from each other. We don't get there by ignoring problems, but by constantly working on the things we can control, growing in humility, practicing the habit of love, caring for others, even people that are thousands of miles from us, pure and simply because they are in need. We can be a sign of the coming of the Son of Man if we only keep awake, caring and loving as we are watching and waiting. Well, let's end with this. Uh, there was a mother in the Congo who died after giving birth to a premature baby. They needed a hot water bottle to help the baby, but the only one they had was beyond repair. So they prayed for the baby and for her big sister who was now alone as an orphan. One of the girls prayed, Dear God, please send a hot water bottle today. Tomorrow will be too late. And dear Lord, send a doll for her sister so she won't feel so lonely. That afternoon, a package arrived from England, and the children watched as they opened it. To their surprise, under some clothing was a hot water bottle. Immediately, the girl who had prayed dug deeper into the box. She was sure God would provide the doll she prayed for, and she was right. Five months before that morning prayer, the Lord had led a woman's church group to include both of those specific items. To the women, perhaps their act of faith didn't seem that big or very urgent, but it arrived just when it needed to. When we keep awake, something similar happens. Our faithful actions may not seem that grand or that urgent, but they are the seeds of faith and unity. They allow people to experience the love of God, oftentimes just as they are most desperate for it. 
We are vigilant and faithful in our service to God so that others can experience God's love. So keep awake, no matter what life might throw your way. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.